When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire has a really cool thing they're doing right now, Sean. So all you have to do is real simple. Just go over to LinkedIn and follow Axon Tire and you will get registered to win a free Yeti cooler. I mean, I don't know how much more easy I can make that, Sean. That's all you got to do. LinkedIn, follow them, boom, you're in the game. That's how it works. Everybody needs. I'm, I'm, I'm on top of it. There Definitely, it sounds like an offer I can't refuse. It, it yes. really is. It's kind of like in the Godfather, you know. And <laughs> next thing you know, you got a horse head in your bed, and then you move on from there, you know. So check that out. All right, Valley Transportation. An offer I can't refuse. <laughs> Valley Transportation's been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goals our goal is to help you reach yours. Powered by Farmer Credit, Ag Direct is built for today's agriculture. For simple applications, quick responses, competitive rates, and generous flexible terms. Ag Direct. Ag Direct offers buy, lease, and finance options for most all types of new and used equipment, non-recourse, and timely funding back to the dealership, plus sales incentives. No other ag equipment dealer works like AgDirect. 
Learn more by calling your AgDirect territory manager at 888-525-9805 or visit us at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over 20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and optional pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience, transform how you work today. This podcast is also brought to you by Iron Solutions, powered by Randall Riley. There for a minute, I, my my uh my my tongue didn't quite make it through uh customs there coming back from Mexico. So I had to <laughs> stammer my way through that. So it just it just showed up here before the show started. So things are going good. Sean, how you been, man? I've been good. Had a really good week last week um on the speaker circuit. Nice. I'm kind of now uh gonna be um more home base for a while as all the planting season gets started. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, but yeah, it's been, um, it was a good week. Spent met a lot of good, um, good producers and bankers and ag, obviously everyone worried about banking and all that's going on. But overall, um, we had a positive discussion about a lot of things and we are starting to turn a little more optimistic. Finally, that we might be nearing the end of this 14 month correction in commodities and agriculture, um, not quite yet, but probably the month of April. So we're we're starting to see the kind of signposts that have historically led to prior important lows. So we're kind of getting our livestock producers, those on the physical buyer of energy, those on the physical buyer of feed to get geared up to do something here in April. We think there's going to be a good opportunity to, to do that. So, yeah. So that's, that's a couple good. I'm glad you brought that up because you put a report out uh, yesterday, I believe, if not the day before, uh, about what was going on in the marketplace. And two things really stood out to me um, as I was going through that one. You had a lot of bullish um, points you were pointing out. But I think one thing I want to talk to you about, John, is because this is one of the reports that you put out. Two weeks ago, you and I were talking about milk, and we were wondering how how milk producers were even going to gonna make it through. And you know, back that time, it's somewhere between 1750 and 1780 five-ish, something like that. And yesterday it, it peaked up over 20. So I guess as you're looking at, at milk right now, wh- what's driving that price? I mean, that's a pretty significant jump in, in about two-week period. Well, <clears throat> remember, there's commodities are twofold. They're financial instrument. Mm-hmm. So when the world comes to an end, the financial portion sells. And we've been seeing a lot of selling by financial people. Um, and that depresses the price. But we still have to deal with the real world stocks can live in fantasy land all they want but commodities at the end of the day it's a physical buyer it's a physical seller for a physical actual real world need and you can only diverge from that reality for so long in the financial world before you push on a string and you get the reaction back milk's a classic example everyone in the industry saying it's over we're going lower there's no hope no future it's classic uh, kind of bearish universal herd mentality talk that you see in most markets, especially dairy. And then we get a two and a half dollar move up in the nearby contracts in less than three weeks. So that tells you that what was driving. So, so when we measure, when we look at the commitment and traders, the problem Casey, as I think, you know, you know, that the, there was a hacking problem with a lot of the people that trade our futures markets and they weren't able to deliver timely data supposedly to the CFTC. So the commitment of traders data has been delayed by a month for a couple of months. I mean, we've been running kind of blind to what these 
financial people have been doing. But we finally got up to date at the end of last week, which is why we put this report out on capital flows. And in dairy, the speculator short position as a percentage of open interest two weeks ago before this rally began was at its highest level in history. So the financial guys were up to their eyeball short in a physical market that there isn't a person in the world that can milk a cow and generate a return at that price level right now. So what happens is all of a sudden the physical market demands more from the market and all these financial people decide it's time to hit the buy button and they all try to get out at the same time. And then you have to try to find out where the, where's the real market seller. And we just found out it was still half dollars higher um, in in a very short order. So that's the kind of, that's where we think we are in a lot of markets, Casey. We're in a lot of markets that have been pressed down for the last 14 months and have really been pressed down on this banking crisis. But we're getting to a fundamental value, whether it's cotton, you know, whether it's milk, you know, whether it's... um, uh, you know, the wheat market, you know, we're, we're getting to a fundamental value, the natural gas market, the crude oil market, where the financial world is gone too far and we're ne- and the real economy is going to start fighting back. And all of our capital flows work is suggesting that we are reaching levels that have historically been seen prior to the ends of corrections and the beginnings of new trends higher. Another thing that we looked at um, and we've showed in yesterday's report was that the um, if you look at the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, and we we highlighted all the financial crises since '97. By the way, you can go before then, you know, the savings and loan crisis in the early sure. '90s, '87 yeah. crash. I mean, it goes endless on and on and on. So, so, so this is part of our system. It happens all the time, but every single time it leads to an important buying opportunity in commodities. And we showed that the Typical 12-month rate of change of the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index tends to fall about 30% and before reaching a bullish turning point. We are down, we were down, we are down 27% from the high uh, over the last 14 months. Um, I mean, over the last you know, 12-month rate of change. So we're getting very, very close to where this financial crisis and that rate of change of real world assets. Yeah. Tends, tends to reach a bullish turning point. So our view is maybe we have a little bit further to go into April, but you know, we're getting to a pretty exciting place at the buy side. We always talk about on your show, Casey, that volatility and price means the seller gets an opportunity when the volatility up gets carried away. And the downside, the buyer gets an opportunity when they get carried away to the downside. We think now we're in the point that the buyer can get himself uh, and, and do something smart. The seller had, a, you know, the, the the producers had, you know, he had a year and a half of great prices to sell. Now the buyer is going to get his opportunity. So that's where we think we're at. And we're pretty excited about, you know, making sure our livestock producers and those on the end user side get themselves well bought here as you move into April and maybe early May. So. Okay. So. The, the one okay, so I've been reading an article this morning, <clears throat> getting ready for this, and and obviously the U.S. beef um, complex has just been great. I mean, they've been it's been a great oh, almost uh, what eighteen month run here that we've seen on, on the cattle side, where we've seen some really good prices, consistently good prices across the board. Japan ra- raises a uh, 
uh, van that they have on Canadian beef, a longstanding um, van on Canadian beef. And, you know, Japan's a, a big buyer of, of U.S. beef. I guess looking at that, Sean, do you, do you see that being a big issue? Is that something you're paying attention to? Or is that just, you know, just another like a blip on the radar type thing? Well, we, 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 uh, the U.S. arranged a trade deal with, with Japan a couple of years ago. And so our, our, you know, we, we have a very good relationship with them. We sell a lot of beef to them. The bigger issue short term is that, you know, that ban on uh, Brazilian beef exports to China, you know, really, um, you know, it, it just really adds a, an element of tightness uh, of extra demand for U.S. beef or whoever has it um, until that gets resolved. And, um, you know, I think if it wasn't for that situation, I think that the cattle price would probably be. Uh, falling more than it has, but, but I think that you know, with that in place, um, it, it, it's taken some of the slack out of what is starting to look like maybe a little bit of weaker demand coming here into April. Um, now, of course, they'll eventually resolve it, and when they do, you know, that could be where the, the cattle market plays catch up to the downside um, and catches up to what we've seen in hogs and dairy and other markets that have you know taken on the chin a lot here over the last couple of months, but. Um, you know, the long-term picture, I mean, there's just no way to increase the supply of beef anywhere in the world anytime soon. Right. So it's really not a modulation of, you know, can we get a bigger herd anywhere? It's, can you add a little weight, you know, extra weight to those animals or, um, you know, it, it's modulating demand. And so, but in the longer term, uh, it, it's hard to see a protracted decline in cattle unless we see a complete crash in demand, you know, anything's in, anything is possible. But I, I don't, if we look at what's starting to happen, as much as the banking schism in the U.S. and the problems in Europe is worrying the market and concerning, it also means that the Fed is essentially stunned tightening. Yeah. Just, just as, a, as a signpost, the entire quantitative tightening, meaning the re reduction of their balance sheet that we saw, I think it was four or five hundred million dollars they actually contracted the money supply by 400 to 500 million dollars over the course i think of nine months was all put back on their emergency uh, on their emergency um policies they put in place to reliquify the banks and keep them from you know imploding meaning that their balance sheet just went right back to where i mean the entire yeah. quantitative tightening was erased in literally one night so that's over. And they're not going back to tightening, uh, reducing the, the money supply. The money supply is now growing again. The next shoot of drop will be that the interest rates will stop going up. They'll start pausing and going down. So the monetary policy that's been very, very negative for commodities and stocks over the last you know, 12 to 14 months is now shifting to a more accommodative policy. And that's very good for asset markets, especially commodity markets. Gold is already surging, which is a first mover advantage. Copper which is always sensitive to the economy 12 months out is already starting to move. Um, um, you know, these are the kind of things that you tend to see at the very early stages of a more accommodative monetary policy. The dollar is continues to be under pressure. Um, all these things are actually a longer term positive. Once we get done with the near term crisis and maybe we're not done yet, maybe we have another shoe to drop before we, we solve it. But, but, but the, the good news of a crisis is it leads to more common monetary policy. I'm talking about specifically agricultural producer, meaning that the prices 
tend to go up when the Fed gets more accommodative. It may not be good for humanity, but it's good for those in the agricultural sector. So that's 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 to me is the story is that the outlook for the back half of the year, and we've talked about this on your show, is for a better monetary policy, a weaker dollar, and more of a currency-related inflationary story, not from COVID, which was the prior cycle, but more from a currency-related inflationary cycle, more of a traditional cycle that we've seen in the past. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that overnight thing with uh it's, it's amazing how long it took to get there and then how fast it went away. It's kind of like my checking account. Just boom, <laughs> overnight's gone. Always well, it just goes to show you that you know that it, when when you're when the world is as indebted as it is as from a government level, from a corporate level, uh, from a banking level, you you really can't contract the money supply ever. You really right. can't. It's it really we are perpetually having to grow the money supply forever until the system changes. So anytime they ever try to do it, immediately we get a we get a crisis and then they put the, all the money back. No. So the, the the concept that the Fed actually has the decision to make that they actually can contract the balance sheet, they don't have a decision unless they want to go, you know, into a, a complete unless we're going to go out and living in caves with oil lamps. Awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, they have to continue to grow the money supply. That is a farce that they yeah. even have a decision to make. And this was another classic example. Yeah, yeah, we we can do it. No, you can't. And they put it right back in. Yep. Yep. All right. Last thing. Um, I've read a lot of articles about um, and watched a lot of news clips and stuff like that about Ukrainian grain and how much Ukrainian grain is still in the country that they're trying to figure out how. I mean, there's obviously avenues to get out, but it's just so bottlenecked and so constrained and the time involved with it. It's just there's just still a ton of grain in Ukraine. Even if they only plant half a crop, there's still going to be a ton of grain that's still in Ukraine. Um, Looking at looking at that, um, John, how do you think that plays into the overall picture of, of, you know, the wheat market, you know, corn market, soybean market, uh, you know, sunflower oil, those kind of things where there's just supply over here that if it ever gets out, it's going to be a big amount of stuff that hits the marketplace. But until it gets out, it's just kind of a, I don't know what the right term is here, but kind of like a, a huge reserve out there that that's for sale. There's just got, you have to get it to the, to the port or to a train or something somewhere that, I think, and, and one of the big issues, which I didn't realize this, but one of the biggest issues that they're having in Ukraine when it comes to rail is that European uh, trail rain, God dang, train rail is at a different gauge than that in Ukraine. So they have to, it's a whole thing when you go get it to the border. So I, I guess looking at that, Sean, what's your thoughts there? And 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 is that something that's weighing on the market, or do you think that's just until it happens, it happens? It's going to be the same. Well, what's weighing on the market has been that they've been get, able to get been able to get those ending stocks that they had out this past year with this grain corridor deal, they got those ending stocks out. So now the, the ending stocks are no longer there. Now they have, they, they, now they need to worry about selling what they produce, but what they produce is going to be down 30 to 50% from what was being produced prior. So that's not an overhang in the market. That's a lot less than the world had been anticipating. They were going to produce prior to the war. Um, Russia on Friday said that they're now you know, going to play the game again. They, apparently they've sold enough wheat to raise enough money for the what appears to be an escalation of war here this spring. Now they're putting export taxes back on so that any exports that do leave, they make more money off of. So the wheat market went, went up violently on Friday and violently yesterday on this reaction that, you know, the, that the uh, availability of Black Sea wheat is now going to be under more constricted um, mode. and um, 
you know, and uh, and the worry is that the that the that that as we get into the spring, that the uh, Russia is getting ready for a more aggressive offensive um, that may prevent even that production that will be harvested in winter wheat from Ukraine from getting out. Um, so so it seems to me that the geopolitical situation is now shifting, you know, back to a much more constrictive mode. Um, and when we look to stocks to usage, meaning we take all the large exporters and we look at their current stocks and we look at the demand globally for those stocks, we're at a 35-year low, uh, assuming that crop production is okay in this coming season. Um, that's not a very comfortable spot to be in, Casey, when you're going into still a lot of weather to go in terms of what's actually going to be the production and um, and a possible significant escalation of geopolitical uh, unrest in that re- in the region. And I think you know we we may we may have put a an important low in wheat for that reason, and we may need to be putting that that uh, geopolitical premium back on to some extent uh, until we have a better handle on what exactly is Russia's intentions here. I know there's a, you know, a lot of, it was been a lot of um, uh, media over the love affair between Russia and China, how much they love each other and, you know, hand in hand, heart to heart, and they're, they're going to give each other, you know, back massages and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, the, his, the culture of both those two countries is they don't like each other. Um, I think they like us. They hate us more than they hate each other. But I don't. I, I don't think that is a a relationship that is bred on mutual respect and love. I think it's short term, based upon uh, a common uh, a common theme of hating the U.S. But I don't think that that is a, an alliance that has a long term ability to stay intact. I think if either one saw an opportunity to sidestep the other, I think either one would take that. Uh, opportunity in a hurry. And so uh, bottom line with all of that is I, I think that we're getting a more bullish Black Sea region set up now um, versus a more, more of a bearish one that we've had over the last, you know, eight to 12 months. Absolutely. Yeah. That China-Russia thing is is unique at, at best. It's like two divorced parents at a teacher parent conference and we're here for the kids. So just keep keep it together. Okay. So that's kind of what it feels like. All right. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is you're doing over at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? They can check our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com, our Twitter page at Faradex11. And they can also check our LinkedIn page, easier searching for Sean Hackett or Hackett Financial Advisors from time to time. We do put some interviews and some information on there that update our climate cycles, capital flow cycles, and some of our outlooks for for the agricultural space. Um, if those want to, you know, want to try to keep up to speed uh, with what we're thinking. So, okay, man. Well, Sean, appreciate you being the podcast, man. Thanks, Casey. Always glad to be here. All right, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast, and over on the YouTube channel, Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out there to get the video version of this very podcast right here. So check that out. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related, and check out the upper right hand corner for all the information for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. If you're interested in getting more information about that, you can check the website, or you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. People at, at Axon Tire are going to give you a $50 discount off of your uh, registration fee for one of the first 150 people to sign up. So check that out. Um, a lot of crazy things happen in the world, man. Check out Sean's website. A lot of things that 
to look at there. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's move some iron, folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher.